Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Thanks for joining me today. If you haven't heard about or seen the documentary Enemies Within the Church, I highly recommend that you do. Enemies Within the Church is an educational, historical, and evidence-based movie experience that provokes a passionate return to Orthodox Christian faithfulness across the Western world. The movie heralds a clarion call for Christians to turn away from popular yet errant beliefs held in contradiction to carefully interpreted Holy Scriptures. My guest today is prominently featured in this documentary, and had an awful lot to do with it seeing the light of day. Trevor Loudon is a celebrated author, filmmaker, political commentator, and one of the foremost experts on communism. Originally from New Zealand, as you will hear, his work can be found on many media outlets, including television, social media, print copy, and documentaries. Thanks for joining me today, Trevor. Thanks so much, Andrea. The, the movie actually came out in late 2021. Now, in case we don't get to it at the end, you can find all the information you need at enemieswithinthechurch.com. Rather than have you go through the thesis of the documentary, we will have to do some of that. I really want people to watch it, so I don't want to let too many of the cats out of the bag, so to speak. But because it's such an important idea that the church has enemies, which I think many Christians, professing Christians, you know, maybe in the last couple of years have said, wow, we've got some enemies. They wanted us to close our churches. But not recognizing you have enemies, not recognizing it's a war, speaks to the vulnerability. So what do you think the Christian church suffered from in terms of being so vulnerable to not even see that there was infiltration? I think complacency would be the biggest problem. For a long time, the Marxists and other groups have been trying to infiltrate the church because they know the church has a lot of influence. They know the church has a lot of money and respectability. Not saying every church has a lot of money, but the church in general is, is, is quite wealthy. So, so it's always been a target of you know, of grifters and, and, and con men, but particularly Marxist revolutionaries have made a big effort to get inside the church, to use the church as a vehicle for their message. And most Christians um, are trusting people, are good-hearted people, and they really don't, many of them don't recognize evil and twisted doctrine when they see it. And that. Uh, together with complacency, has allowed a situation where we're actually losing traditional Christianity in this country. So rather than give the victim mentality, look what they're doing to us. Um, the film talks about two words, which I've been very familiar with, with the Calcedon Foundation that this that sponsors this podcast, the idea of pietism and antinomianism. Tell me from your perspective, having researched it, how these two things really land at the door of the church in terms of sinful responses to our Great Commission. 
traditionally, and if you look far enough back, it was always regarded by Christians that the three main institutions were that we were given by God to govern us. We were given the church, we were given the family, and we were given civil government. Civil government is a godly institution just as much as the family is. And but but back after the Reformation, um, Christians really got involved in civil government. They really understood that. You know, the gospel wasn't just for some areas of life. It was for every area of life. And, and when they, they started the Protestant movement, it was, was accepted that Christians would be involved in every area of life, including civil government. But this really upset the rulers of Europe. They didn't like this. They had a, they were used to a monopoly of power. So they, so there was a, a bit of a counter movement to this. The, the pietists, these were people who, who thought, well, the, the Protestants, the new Protestants were going too far. You needed to really just be godly and stay in your church and leave civil government to the civil authorities and leave the culture alone. Just stay in your church on Sundays and be a good and pious person. Pietism. Well, the princes loved this movement, so they funded it. They established chairs at universities, and they appointed prominent pietists to these chairs. And eventually, pietism became the dominant um, strain of Christianity in, in, in Germany and Scandinavia. And when the, the German and Scandinavians started moving to America in the 19th century, they brought this pietist attitude with them. Keep out of government. Don't be involved in the civic affairs of your nation. Stay in your church. Shut your mouth. Just be a good Christian. This was the message. In Germany, this led to the communist revolution of 1848 because the Christians weren't involved in politics. They allowed the Marxists to come in and, and come into that vacuum. And there was actually a communist revolution in 1848. It failed. But many of those German communists then went to America and followed the pietists to America and started setting up communism and socialism in Milwaukee and Chicago, where they were met with very little opposition because much of Christianity was pietist. And we see this today. Pastors say, no, no, it's not our job to be involved in politics. We shouldn't address the culture. We should just be good Christians within our four walls and leave the culture and government alone. Well, that vacuum has created a situation where America is now heavily socialist and we're in danger of losing our constitution, um, our freedoms and our ability to actually profess our faith. Because, um, you know, the American Revolution was founded on the principle that man's rights come from God, not the government. Well, now that, that concept has been lost because it's no longer championed by most of American Christianity and, and we're drifting into socialism. Antinomianism is basically, it means without law. It, it basically means that the Old Testament, which, which laid out a lot of the laws that were, were basically expanded on by Jesus, that, you know, the Ten Commandments being the obvious one, the Decalogue, but also Mosaic law and others that that is no longer relevant. A lot of pastors will tell you that the, the Old Testament is, is old hat, that Jesus came with something new. So you can jettison the old laws. Some pastors will tell you 
that we're no longer bound by the Ten Commandments. And so this has created a lawless situation in Christianity. It's, it's destroyed the base of Christianity. So the only law becomes love. You know, as long as what you're doing is loving, it's okay. It's Christian. And, and the Ten Commandments are not really that relevant. And, and all of that stuff is old fashioned. So really, you know, Jesus came to expand on the laws. He didn't came to discard the laws. But that's really the message you get from a lot of American Christianity. So a lot of American Christianity has lost its Old Testament roots, and it, it is then um, falls victim to any trendy left-wing cause that comes along, like critical race theory, like white privilege, like social justice. All of these Marxist things are now in the churches because the churches, through antinomianism, have lost sight of biblical law and are now falling for secular law and secular movements that come into the church masquerading as as Christian. You know, Jesus was a socialist, for instance, is a good one. Right. And and so the twin things of pietism and antinomianism have allowed Marxism to come into the churches. So don't you think that a big factor in this is as the churches stopped proclaiming what we the Reformation called the crown rights of Jesus Christ, and people sent their children to secular schools, then, of course, they were going to adapt to what they were taught and removing the idea that the Bible has any relevance for education in the secular realm made the church impotent in many ways. Now, look, I think that's 100% right. Well, if you abandon the, the, the Old Testament, if you abandon the laws of the Old Testament, you then become subservient to the secular laws. You, 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 instead of educating your own children and your own faith, you give the state the right to educate your children. And they are, the state is hostile to, to other forces. The, the state, the state wants to be God on earth. It doesn't like a God in heaven. So it will try and and change children's point of view towards a state-centered worldview. So absolutely, you know, Christians should not be sending their kids to public schools. Christians should be educating their own children. Uh, How many people do you know, Christian families who educated their children, who who saved up their money and they finally sent their, their first child to college? And the very first Thanksgiving, the child comes back and tells the parent how stupid they are, how old-fashioned and retrogressive they are, and now they're an atheist. This is not an unusual phenomenon, is it? Not at all. Not at all. So education is under the jurisdiction of the family with the help from the church. And when Christians Absolutely. have abandoned Absolutely. that, they basically said, you can ha- we'll have our children's bodies you know, one day a week and we'll let them sleep and eat here, but you tell them how to think. And as a result, we see an embracing of things like, wouldn't it be great to live in a socialist society? That's exactly what's happened. You know, with those three institutions, you know, you've got the church, you have the family, you have civil government. If the church is leading and is the moral arbiter, the moral leader, the families will be sound. The families will be healthy and the government will, the, the civil government will be kept within its boundaries. 
But if the church fails to lead, that creates a vacuum and the families fall into chaos. They get educated. The kids are educated in public schools. They, They are subject to secular morality and the government gets way, way, way out of control. Well, that's where we are now because the church influenced by pietism and antinomianism has abandoned its leadership role in society. You know, once politicians would at least pay lip service to the church, they would look to the church for moral guidance and at least pretend that they, that they were interested in what the church had to say. You know, Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, a Marxist by his own lights, a member of Democratic Socialists of America, but the, the top lawman in today's, um, in the Judiciary Committee, the most powerful judicial body in the country, recently said, God's opinion is of no relevance or interest to the Judiciary Committee. Well, can you imagine an American politician saying that even 50 years ago? Not at all. Getting away with it? Not to mention what happens when you thumb your nose at God and you declare war on God. And when the people of God don't stand against it, we experience the judgment that it would be hard for anyone to say, America and the West are not experiencing at this time. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's right. If you are not, you know, for he who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is a sin. Meaning, basically, we're not just expected to be, to not steal and lie and commit too much adultery and murder people. We're expected to stand up for our principles and make hard decisions. And, and stand up for what is right, regardless of popular opinion. So if you're not doing that, you're really part of, of the, you're part of the decay. You're part of the rot. You're collaborating with evil. If you're not standing for what is right in, in today's climate, you are, you are, you're basically part of the evil team. And so why shouldn't we get judgment? Why, why shouldn't we, if we're not standing for what's right? Um, why shouldn't Christians be under the same judgment as everybody else if they're not actually being Christians 24-7? Exactly. Now, the question of authority is really important here because too many people have deferred to the professional classes, professional doctors, professional lawyers, professional educators, being told that they can't understand these issues because, you see, they haven't had the schooling Well, hasn't that even happened with the clergy that we got a professional clergy? So you should trust the people who come out of seminaries. And that is a hundred percent right. You know, like it was never a concept years ago that you hung on your pastors every single word and believed every single thing they ever said to you. You know, the, the early church was a much more, uh, I hate to use the word, but sort of democratic and non-hierarchical thing. It was, yes, you had a pastor who would lead prayer and, and would read from the Bible, etc. but he wasn't the king. He wasn't the pope. He wasn't this authority that all must bow down to. He was just part of the team, you know, so, so, Every Christian was supposed to read the Bible themselves and, and work things out for themselves and talk amongst themselves. It wasn't a dictated truth from above, but in many churches now that is what it is. So that's why you get pastors 
who bring in Marx's concepts like white privilege or um, accepting of the LGBTQ agenda, which is clearly non-biblical, but because it came from a pastor and he's been to a seminary or a Bible college and I don't read the Bible, so he knows more than I do. So people get gulled by this kind of stuff. And it's, 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 it's ruining the church. You know, everybody should be a Bible scholar. Nobody should accept the, um, the pastor as inerrant. In, in you know, that's not, you're supposed to be discerning, you know, wise as serpents. And so, yes, that acceptance of the professional class, we've seen in the COVID epide- epidemic, well, people blindly follow medical advice because it came from Dr. Fauci or someone who must know. You know, we've seen the, the mass psychosis that has developed from that attitude. Well, the same thing is happening in the churches. So if we won't recognize the authority of God in his inscriptured word, then we are going to fall prey to those who figure they can replace him. And as you've pointed out, if the church doesn't challenge that, then God's word at best has to defer to science or have to defer to what the legal profession says is law, etc. And I think that's the wake up call from the movie um, that says, wait a minute, this happened on your watch, Christians. What are you going to do about it other than lament, oh, poor us? Well, that's right. You know, we're, we're all responsible. We're all responsible for ourselves. And there is no excuse for saying, well, well, my pastor said this was okay. So I, I, you know, everybody else in society says this is fine. So why shouldn't I do it? That's not, that's not what God is interested in. He's interested in whether you as an individual actually accepted truth and acted on truth. There's no excuse. There's going to be no excuse for saying, well, my pastor said it was all right. You know, everybody else is doing this. It's accepted in society. You know, we see the, the famous example in, in before World War II in Nazi Germany. You know, there, were, there was only one force that really could have stopped Hitler rising to power, and that was German Christianity. They had the numbers and the moral authority to stop Hitler, but they didn't. They became active Nazi supporters, many of them. They put swastikas in their churches. They became good Nazi Christians. And that led to a war that killed untold millions of people. And young American Christian boys had to pick up rifles and put on uniforms and storm German machine guns at the beaches of Normandy to sort out the mess. So I'm sure most of those Christians in Germany were very honest people, they were good people, they they went to church, they didn't abuse their neighbours, but really did they do what God would have wanted them to do? Did they have an excuse before God saying, well, you know, Hitler said we shouldn't do this, or Hitler's, Hitler said we just got to look after man's souls, Hitler will look after Germany. They let that happen. Is, that, is, is, is there any excuse for that? Well, it seems to me, and I've said this before, so my listeners won't be surprised. I think the scariest words in scripture are, I never knew you. And when the judgment comes and you're in the category of the sheep or the goats, nobody, I can't imagine anybody wants to be in the, I never knew you category. 
But we have to be vigilant. Otherwise, we may find out that's the category we've been in all along. Well, that's right. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of young people who go to church these days. They think, well, I need some spiritual direction. I go to church. And, and they don't hear anything about sin or repentance or the uh, Ten Commandments. But they do hear a lot about welcoming refugees across the border and social justice and how they must repent of their white privilege. And they think this is Christianity. And how would they know any difference? So they could go through their whole life being little Marxists and thinking they were Christian. Well, that's not going to be good when it comes to the day of judgment, is it? So we are told to be discerning. We're told to be, to read the word. See, there's a big thing in the churches. You know, you're not allowed to criticize another pastor. It's not a done thing to do. But if the pastor down the road is leading people into complete error, who is basically teaching a completely false gospel and people are being misled by this and you know better and you don't say anything, are you not complicit in this? Isn't it a Christian's duty to point out error when they see it? I'm not talking about just intolerance over every little point of doctrine. But when you have people going to Marxist churches, being taught things that things that are the opposite of Christianity, but it's masquerading as Christianity, and you don't say anything, are you not complicit? Exactly. I'm not sure if you are aware of who R.J. Rushduni is or was since he has passed oh, away. I, I certainly know the name. Yes, I do. Very good. Well, every sermon he ever gave those that I heard recorded and those that I had the ability to be there in person at the end of every preaching time, he would say, are there any questions now about our lesson or anything else? And I have never yet met another pastor who will do that. And I believe a lot of the reason is for the things you just said. In other words, they don't want to be challenged. And if you do challenge something that a pastor says, if it's not scriptural, then you might be deemed a troublemaker in the church and you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't hold that position because you're not as credentialed as the pastor. Well, that's right. You're a divider, divisive. Well, wasn't Jesus a little divisive at times? Well, certainly with the religious leaders of his day. Yes. (laughs) He absolutely was. You know, when, when you have error, you've got to be divisive. You have to sort the wheat from the chaff. And it isn't kind or loving to allow people to preach total garbage um, and, and with the authority of a pastor and say nothing about it. You know, people make genuine mistakes. Some pastors have, have um, they misinterpret what they read or they're not well educated. Um, you know, so... You can talk to people and you can hope to bring them around and you can have a debate. But when a pastor is consistently preaching heresy or Marxism from the pulpit and will not listen, well, you should be divisive. You should divide yourself from that church or you should get a new pastor. Um, we, we divide ourselves from criminals, do we not? We divide ourselves from those who are are destructive and evil. Well, we we can't be thinking that the church is immune from penetration by people who mean it 
ill or are very, very off track. That's been happening in the churches since the beginning of beginning of the Christian era. It hasn't exactly. stopped. Well, Jesus warned us about wolves in sheep's clothing, and he didn't say, well, this is just a warning to your leaders. It was a warning to all of us because we are the church. The church isn't just the pastors or the elders or the deacons. We're the people of God. And I think that uh, not being able to discern the truth from a counterfeit is what makes these um, concepts, which I hope to get into with you a little bit, so appealing because it sounds intellectual. It sounds like, well, my church doesn't really talk about intellectual things. It's just about, you know, how I feel. And a lot of people want to understand, but the churches aren't providing it. Well, that's right. You know, the common complaint I hear um, is, you know, very superficial. You know, church pastors can be very superficial. I remember, remember going to a, a church in California, and this was a time where things were raging. You know, Black Lives Matter was burning cities. People were worried about elections. There was a lot going on in society. And the pastor spent the whole time debating whether your pet goes to heaven with you or not, whether Fido was going to go to heaven with you or not. Oh, dear. I was thinking, you know, what a great opportunity you have to address what's going on. People are looking for leadership. They want to understand what's going on, what's right and what's wrong. And we get a, we get a, a, a 30 minute exposition on whether, whether your cat's going to go to heaven with you. Um, you know, that, that, that's, that might be an extreme example, but people want truth. You know, why, why we had the recent COVID pandemic and a lot of churches closed and some stayed open. And the ones who stayed open addressed the culture and and talked to the people why they were defying the government and why that God's law is, is superior to, to civil law. And those churches are growing because people got it. They understood why the church was doing what it was doing and the church was there for them. The churches that shut down lost people and many of them will never reopen or will reopen much smaller because they are superficial that, that because their own understanding of, of their role is so poor, they weren't willing to make a stand. So the people will think, well, you weren't there for me when I needed you. I'm going to find a church who will be there when I'm, when I need it and will tell me and will discuss the actual important ideas that a pastor should be discussing with his people. Which brings me to a question that I had. I've watched the film now many times. You and the producers in general amassed a wide diversity of people who understand the issue will bring to light the sort of things that most churches haven't considered. How did you find all these people? How, how did you, I mean, cause they're, they're quite a diverse group. How, how did you know where to look? Yeah. Well, look, there's, there's former, um, college professors, there's, there's whistleblowers, there's, there's church planters, there's people from the Baptist Church and Campus Crusade for Christ and all these other groups. Well, when we started getting out there and interviewing people and when it became known we were doing this movie, 
we started to get some whistleblowers. People from Campus Crusade for Christ, for instance, started coming to us saying, we're, we're getting, we're just getting taught Marxism here. This is crazy stuff. And when we raise concerns, we get nowhere. And so one whistleblower would lead to another. One college professor would lead to, lead to another. Um, then they'll refer us to like Bobby Lopez, for instance, made a great contribution to the movie. He is a, a former homosexual who got saved, became, um, changed his life around. Now he's married with kids and, and he's got a great story to tell that you can be delivered from sin through Christ. But he was not allowed to preach that message in, in, in a Baptist seminary because the Baptist seminaries want to push the, the, the gay friendly Christian message. So it, it just, it, we, we put it out there. We we're doing the movie and the network just spread and people just started coming to us. But I'll tell you this. This is true. We probably got seven or eight whistleblowers in that movie, but we probably would have had another hundred who told us stories, but didn't have the courage to come on film. They didn't want to suffer the professional consequences or have the ostracism that they knew they would get. Some of them are still in working for these institutions and they've seen people get fired for raising questions. So they tell us the stuff, but they weren't quite willing to come out and put their names to it, unfortunately. Yeah, but they gave you the information so you at least knew where to dig. I know that not everybody's at the same point at the same time. They gave us documents too. They gave us actual documents, which is very valuable. Yes. And after you watch the film, for those who will pursue this, the bonus features are actually, I think, better in as much as, I mean, the, the documentary weaves it all together. So it's kind of like you have a tour guide with the documentary. But when you hear the extended interviews, you realize that... um a lot of people know what's going on, and even just the few you amassed, I think there's reason to be hopeful, don't you, Trevor? Well, what I'm seeing is is there's a, a big g- growth now in the in the home churches. The smaller churches are really springing up. Churches that have made a stand over the last couple of years are really growing. So we are seeing a separation of of, of, of the wheat from the chaff. We're seeing the the false and lukewarm Christianity fading, and the real vibrant Christianity is growing. So, yeah, I absolutely see that. I, I see that wherever I go. And um, so that that is very hopeful in itself. But And, and that's why we did the movie, because we want to see a return to real Christianity in America. You know, the, the, it's the basis of this great country. And if we lose it, we lose the nation. So there's a lot, lot of things at stake here. So, you know, Kerry Gordon, the, the pastor who narrates the movie, and Judd Saul, the, the the guy who really put it together, they're both very deeply committed Christians, and they understand that people are being led into error all over the place, and we got to put a line in the sand, say this is right, this is wrong. So people can actually make an informed judgment because right now there's so much error out there and so much confusion. People really don't know which way to turn. But I think because of the way the documentary was put together, 
people who get it can start inviting people over to their home, have discussions. And I firmly believe that until you change the real estate between people's ears, you're not going to see a lot of change in the culture. But I think this has been a tremendous um, uh, gift to be able to give us materials that say, okay, a lot of people understood the premises, but you guys showed actual instances where this is what happened and this was the ramifications. Yeah. Well, we, we gave people, because a lot of people have been very disquieted, you know, there's something wrong here. Why is my pastor talking this stuff? Why isn't he talking about what he used to talk about or what I learned when I was younger? And, and people can't put their finger on it. The movie connects the dots. So people can say, ah, this is why this is happening. This is why these people are leading us astray. I get it now. So now people have the ammunition to go to their pastor and make their case or to go or to invite friends around who also have doubts or also have worries and concerns. So it gels it together, makes it much more comprehensive and understandable. So people are armed. They can actually go out and take back their churches, get themselves more spiritually grounded and, and actually start to rebuild what we have. So that's why we did, did the movie because people were confused and lacking in real information. We hope this will, well, we know because we're getting hundreds and hundreds of letters on this from pastors and lay people all over the country saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for finally somebody said this stuff. Well, I think one of the major takeaways is the church, in fact, the seed of the woman has always had an enemy, the seed of the serpent. So we're not talking yeah. about anything new. What we're saying is this is how it shapes itself. This is how it morphs because the real target isn't really just the family or the church. The target is Jesus Christ. And unless yeah. we recognize that, we'll be fighting skirmishes that don't have anything to do with the real war. Well, well, that's right. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't Satan want to get inside the church? Wouldn't Satan, who, who who's, wants to lead people astray and lies all the time, wouldn't the church be a great vehicle to, to, to bring people onto his side and inadvertently? They don't even know about it. So as, as the church has got more and more secularized and more corrupted by the culture, that creates an ignorance, and that ignorance is being exploited by evil. And so it just gets worse and worse and worse till the church has drifted so far away from truth that people will fall for almost anything. So this is ultimately God versus the devil. You know, this is what it is. This is good versus evil. And the horrible thing is, you know, God's institution, the church, has actually been penetrated by evil. And evil is being talked from the, you know, it's being preached from the pulpits in many churches now. And people need to understand this. And without a good understanding of church history to realize that over the course of the two millennia, there have been churches that called councils and they were going to deal with heresies and they were going to deal with ideas that had nothing to do with an orthodox understanding of scripture. 
But one of the things you point out in the film, whether it's Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ, uh, transgenderism in women's sports, none of these are the real issue. You say these issues are just there so that they can promote revolution and undo the underpinnings of Western civilization. Yeah, look, that's exactly right. You know, the, the LGBTQ movement was founded by a man called Harry Hay, a leading member of the Communist Party USA. You know, the radical feminist movement was also founded by communists. These issues, the, the Black Lives Matter movement was founded by pro-Chinese communists, but they are invited into churches. Churches support these organizations. And the, the Black Lives Matter has nothing to do with improving the lives of black people. It's using race to divide America to bring it to revolution. The LGBTQ movement has nothing to do with the rights of sexually confused people or the benefit of sexually confused people. It's using that movement to divide and destroy families because the families are the bedrock of society. And when, when these things are creeping into the church, when the church is promoting Marxist programs like Black Lives Matter and the LGBTQ movement, the church is serving evil and, and destroying its own people. That's a pretty bad situation, in my opinion. Absolutely. We, we point this out, you know, the, these, these issues are not real issues. They're only being used by malicious people to divide and destroy us. And the churches, many churches have been sucked in to participating in this. You know, one of the things you pointed out in your, I think it was in your extended interview that I saw, this whole idea of situational ethics, that ethics change yeah. when the situation changes, which is a far cry from the law of God will be in place. Not one jot or tittle will be removed. Talk a little bit about situational ethics and how did that come about in our country? Situational ethics is the premise that when you make a moral decision, you shouldn't be referencing the Ten Commandments, for instance, because that's old-fashioned and it's very harsh and it's not suitable for modern, you know, for modern life. You should look at the situation around you, look at the circumstances and make a decision what, what, on what you think is the most loving thing to do. And you, you could see a young woman adjust justifying an abortion like this she, she might say you know a young woman might be in, in doing in a phd program at a, in a college and she's she's got um you know two hundred thousand dollars worth of student loans and she gets pregnant and she's thinking well i got this great career in front of me this is really inconvenient i'm not going to be able to give this baby the life it deserves maybe the most loving thing to do is to have an abortion you know, so most of the moral decisions made in America today are based on situation ethics. You look at the circumstances and you basically justify your decision as a loving decision. Well, this whole concept was pioneered by a man called Joseph Fletcher. He was a leading Protestant theologian, the leading American Protestant theologian of the mid 20th century. He wrote that book in 1966, said, forget the Old Testament. This is a new way of doing morality. And it took the church and American society by storm. But if you look at Joseph Fletcher's background, in the 1930s, he was involved in Communist Party fronts 
in um, Alabama and in Ohio. He went to Massachusetts. He worked his way up through the Episcopalian College at Harvard University. But he was also a member of the American Soviet Friendship Society, a Soviet Communist Front. He was a member of the World Peace Council, another Soviet Communist Front. He helped Margaret Sanger set up Planned Parenthood. He was identified under oath as attending Communist Party meetings in Boston over several years. After he'd written his book, he left the church and declared himself an atheist and set up an organization which advocated for euthanasia for handicapped children up to the age of 10 years old. The man was a Marxist all along. He was a Communist Party member who got into the church, pretended to be a Christian, and wrote a book that wrecked American morality, that did massive damage to the morality of this country. Right now, situation ethics is a dominant moral system in America. The Ten Commandments, which used to be the dominant system, is now very much secondary, even in churches. So that's one example of an evil person using the church to create chaos and havoc across a whole country. And I believe that God is not mocked. I also believe that Psalm 2 hasn't been canceled. So whereas we may feel the pang of what it's like when we haven't done our job and those who came before us didn't do their jobs, we can relish in the fact that God is not going to allow his church to be obliterated. And just like the Israelites of old that had to say, things aren't getting better under Pharaoh, we better repent or we better just call out for help. I believe God will be faithful but we need to be faithful as well. That's right. There is a, um, people talk about the love of God, but they send, tend to forget the laws of God. And we all know in our own families that um, it's easy to love someone who obeys the rules of a marriage or a family or a business than it is for someone who disregards the rules. And God gave us those rules. He gave us blueprint for civil government in the Old Testament. He gave us 10 commandments by which to live. And we expect to disobey those laws, but still get God's love. Well, maybe we should start obeying the laws that he gave us. Maybe that's actually what he wants us to do. Is anybody consider that possibility? And maybe we will get more love if we do that. Is that, is that? possibly logical. Yes. And the other thing that I think has basically infiltrated the churches today is this idea that God would never want us to suffer. Well, if if you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, then you might think God never wants or allows his people to suffer. But when you stand for the faith, you will suffer. And so there are a lot of people who are defaulting to when Jesus comes, Jesus is going to come, he's going to make it all right. And the fact is, the Holy Spirit has come, and he is the person of the Trinity that convicts the world of sin. And he lives in us. So therefore, it's our job. Instead of saying, well, this can't happen, Jesus has to return to make it all good, I think it's another example of abandoning our post. Well, that's 100% right. You know, 
Why are we given free will if we're not supposed to exercise it? We're not just robots on earth. We can choose to be good. We can choose to be evil. We can choose to be faithful. We can choose to be disloyal. We can choose to be cowardly. We can choose to be courageous. And the Bible is full of examples of people who chose to be courageous and faithful and sometimes suffered horrendous penalties for it. You know, this is, this is, this is the, the idea that, that it's all lovey dovey and you just have to be a nice person and not be too sinful and everything's going to be okay is not right. We're living in a world, a fallen world where evil is everywhere right now in our schools and our government and our society and in our churches, our social relations. Evil is on the march. And I think if we're given a choice, you know, if we've got free will, we can stop that evil. We can reduce that evil, starting with ourselves. Right. We can stand against evil in our communities. We can stand against evil in our government. We have, we got brains, we got voices, we got hands, we've got computers, we've got loud hailers, we've got all of these things we need to do it. What we lack is the faith and the courage to do it. And I do believe, Trevor, that the movie will inspire people to see the issues, and then do something about it locally to their circumstances. And it starts with you, doesn't it? It starts locally. You know, um, I listened to a good speech by Dennis Prager the other day, and he said, um, you know, he said people are always looking for optimism. They're looking for a rosy future. And he said all God wants us to do is the right thing. What is right in front of us right now? What is the right decision to make? Are we going to make the right decision and do what we should do or are we not? That's the thing we've got to always keep in mind, referencing eternity, but looking what what is right in front of us right now. Indeed. So before we go, because we're getting to the end of our time, I'd like a little background, like what makes you tick? Why did you jump into this fray? Because I imagine you get some opposition as a result of your positions and things you do. So what keeps Trevor Loudon going? Well, you know, I was brought into this not for any great theological knowledge or anything like that. I was brought into it for my knowledge of communism. But it's actually, I, I think it's made me a better, it's made me a better person by being in this. I've got a better understanding of what evil is now. I've got a better understanding of what good is. I've got a better understanding of my role, my relationship with God. So, you know, I, I just, I just want to do what is right. I want to use my talents to, to, to do what is right and be a good and faithful servant. That's what I want to do because I know I'm going to be held to account one day and I want to do good by those around me. I want to, to, to do unto others as I would have done unto myself. It's just made things clear and I'm very happy for that. And I think it'll make things clearer for others as well. So yeah, I think doing this movie has deepened me spiritually and I'm very grateful for that in myself. Very good. Now I know you have a busy public speaking schedule. If there are people who are listening who want to know where they can see you in person, or let's say there's even a couple of whistleblowers who say he needs to know what I know, how would people reach you? 
Well, you can go. Uh, you can be. I can reach on Facebook, but you go to my website, trevorloudon.com. But I urge people to go to enemieswithinthechurch.com because that's if you want to tell your story or you want to alert people. There's a lot of information on that website besides the um, besides the movie and how to purchase it. Um, go there first. But if you have specific things you want to talk to me about, just go to trevorloudon.com. All right. And I want to tell people that there's a lot of learning to do and you'll discover that people who might not think 100% theologically like you do have a desire to see Jesus Christ glorified and not to have lost what America was founded on. And so I think you'll have some new friends, so to speak. And I'm sure, Trevor, you have made some new enemies, but you've probably also made some new friends as a result of this journey. Well, my friends come and talk to me. My enemies keep away. I, look, the enemies know, enemies of this movement, there are many, they know they can't really counter what's in here. So they're really giving us more of the silent treatment right now. But we're getting a lot of people coming forward, um, expressing gratitude that we've done this. So that's very gratifying in itself. That's been a great boon. Well, I thank you for taking the time. It's a pleasure. Listeners, as always, if you want to get in touch, you can email out of the question podcast at gmail.com. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.